TGIM Team RE. This is episode 378. You know, when you turn away from that amount of negativity, right, which to me, which is what alcohol represents, you also get very clear on other negative aspects and, and, and other things that no longer serve you. And- Welcome to the Recovery Elevator podcast. My name is Odette Kressler. Thank you so much for joining us. On today's show, we've got Susan. Susan is 46 years old. She is from Ohio, and she took her last drink on June 14th, 2019. Before I get to my intro team, let's hear from one of our sponsors today, Exact Nature. Exact Nature's all-natural CBD-based products are specially formulated to help you lighten the load in recovery. Recently, I've been taking Exact Nature's Z's pills and sleeping so well. These products are 100% THC-free and they can be a great tool for your recovery. Learn more at exactnature.com and use the promo code RE20 to receive a 20% discount on your order. That is RE20 at exactnature.com. All right, team, let's work on finding your better you. I'm really excited to be here today. This will be my final intro of this season. So once again, I wanted to say thank you for tuning in and listening to our show. Time has passed and RE has grown so much. Our mission continues to be to help as many people as possible if not with the right answers or with perfect solutions, but simply by being here with you, walking alongside you. This community has given so much to me. I'm so grateful for the day when I grabbed my phone and searched for Recovery Podcast. It was a tipping point for me, and it's just really interesting to look back and see how really small decisions in our life can tip our life in an entirely different direction. Life is so wild. We're never really in control, even when we think we are. How fun and terrifying and exciting at the same time. I'm trying really hard to just go with the flow, grab my bag of spicy chili mango and enjoy the ride. A listener of the show told me that they've noticed a pattern in my shares here. I keep talking about giving ourselves grace and on measuring our progress, not by perfection, but by showing up by continuing to be brave and curious. This message is obviously derived from my own journey, my own struggles in the last couple of years, and the growth that has come from moving out of self-shame and into self-acceptance. I've got a long way to go, but I do feel like I'm being as authentic as possible and I'm willing to stay in the arena. There's plenty of advice out there on how to stay sober. What tips and tricks and hacks and routines can set you up for success, I mean, we have almost 400 stories of badass warriors sharing what works for them. They drop value bombs that help thousands of people. How lucky are we that we get to listen to their stories? So I notice for me, it's not practical advice that I want to share all the time. It's easier to just share what is on my heart than what I know is going to get us more clicks or likes or beat the algorithm. You know, if I try to work based off of that algorithm, I'm only going to awaken a very big perfectionist in me. So when I was thinking about what I wanted to share on my last intro, a quote came up. 
One that reminds me of my enoughness. One that gives me hope. The quote reads, Whatever courage got you here is going to take you far. I don't know the source of this, but I'm 99.999% sure that I heard this on a Peloton ride. You can't blame me for loving that bike so much. Okay, okay, so back to the words. Let me just say it again. Whatever courage got you here is going to take you far. If we break it down, there are a few important components. You are brave and you have courage simply for being here, simply for listening. You don't have to be a certain way or achieve anything to know that you are strong. Courage got you here. You followed a nudge of the heart to press play on this, and that is brave. Remember that when you are feeling scared or doubtful. Remember that part of all of this is up to you, and another big part of it is all about trusting. Trusting yourself, trusting the journey, trusting that it is okay to not know all of the answers. You don't need to know it all. You just need to take a step, and you most definitely can take a step because you are here, and that is proof enough. This courage you own will take you far. And what does far mean? Not a destination, but a symbol of hope. Something that isn't rigid, but fluid and consistent. Far can mean a one-year chip or making it through an AA meeting. Far can mean peace, joy, and clarity. Far can be a shape-shifting word, just like this journey is shape-shifting. Some days far will feel brutal. Others, it will feel comforting and full of pride. Whatever courage got you here will take you far. I don't know if it's just me, but these words also remind me of patience. This journey is not a sprint. We can't take shortcuts and we can't force it. The unfolding of healing takes time. And as I've been saying, there is no manual. I know we wouldn't be at episode 378 of the Recovery Elevator podcast if there was. Whatever courage got you here will take you far. Please write it down on a post-it and keep this reminder close. I have a tattoo on my left forearm. It's a sentence from a poem maybe some of you have already heard. The poem technically has no name, but has adopted the name of Invictus through the years. It was written by William Ernest Henley, and it goes like this. Out of the night that covers me, black as a pit from pole to pole, for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade, and yet the menace of the years shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishment the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. I decided to get the last two sentences, I am the master of my fate, I am the captain of my soul, on my forearm so that I could see them easily, so that I could be reminded of my strength and perseverance, so that I can remember that whatever courage got me here will take me far. Please remember, team, that you are worthy and able and brave. I love you guys. All right. Eso es todo. And before we hear from Chris and Susan, let's hear from BetterHelp. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is the best online therapy option that currently exists on the market. 
Mental health matters, and as we continue to live through these stressful times, it has become more and more evident that we need to have someone that can help us process our emotions and navigate the challenges of sobriety. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. BetterHelp provides a broad range of expertise, which may not be locally available in many areas. The platform is super easy to navigate as you can log into your account at any time and send a message to your counselor. You'll get a timely and thoughtful response. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions with your counselor. BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. You all know that I'm a big proponent of therapy, so I highly recommend you check it out. Simply visit betterhelp.com forward slash elevator. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, and join everyone that is taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Recovery Elevator listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com forward slash elevator. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com forward slash elevator. Odette, thank you for the intro and Recovery Elevator. Please help me welcome Susan. Susan, how the heck are you today? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. I'm excited to talk with you today. Um, Can you let listeners know how long you've been sober? Sure. Uh, So my official sobriety date, I've had some starts and stops, but uh, when I finally put the bottle down, it was on June 14th of 2019. Closing in on three years. How are you feeling? Really, really good. Um, I will say that Um, One of the reasons why that I wanted to um, push myself kind of out of my comfort zone and um, actually talk on the podcast is I've been feeling a little complacent in my sobriety. I don't know if there's other listeners that, you know, after you hit kind of a certain threshold, you know, or a certain kind of um, time period. But um, I wanted to kind of push myself um, out of my comfort zone a little bit because it's okay to be uncomfortable. Well, I'm going to do my best to make you uncomfortable in a, in, <laughs> in the best way, in a good way. And uh, for what it's worth, uh, these 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 stories that we tell and, and, and people like you who are courageous enough to get vulnerable in this setting, that's what's driven a lot of my sobriety. So I think you're going to help a lot of people today. And I'm, I'm really excited and grateful for you to be here. Thank uh, you. Before we get into the meat and potatoes... Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, family, what you do for a living, and most importantly, like what do you do for fun? Sure. So I live in uh, Columbus, Ohio, and I'm 46. I am married and have been for coming up on four years, and I have a 14-year-old stepson. And I have two dogs, uh, one who is older, whose name is Lily Lovebug. And I have a um, younger dog, and he's nuts, and his da- name is uh, Ziggy Biggie Smalls. And uh, for work, I've actually worked for the same um, investment company, um, been in the industry for, gosh, 26 years now, and doing key account um, kind of relationship management. And for fun, I love the outdoors and I love the beach. So it's it's kind of sad that I'm I'm here like in a completely landlocked state other than like Lake Erie, but... You know, I love anything beach-wise. I love to paddleboard. I love to snorkel is a huge thing. Um, I love to run, exercise. And I also am a huge fan of Jeopardy. Jeopardy? Jeopardy. Okay. 
Jeopardy. So do you, are you like a, like I'm going to watch at home and play along every, like on a daily thing? It's not, unfortunately not on a daily basis, but I do like to watch it when it does come on. Like Netflix had it for a hot minute where they had like the whole like college tournament of champion, or there was like a tournament of champions. They have like the college edition. So I like to watch those. I think it's like good, like family dinner content, especially when you have a 14 year old, you know, we're kind of on that precipice of like what's appropriate versus what he wants to watch, which is probably not appropriate. So um, instead of having like, you know, some awkward dinner moments where there could be some, some body parts being shown on a TV show, you know, with your, <laughs> with your grilled chicken and potatoes, you know, it's probably not really a good look with a 14 year old. So we stick with more family friendly content, i.e. the Jeopardy. I like it. It seems like a, gosh, I mean, I'm not that old. I'm, that's what I'm going to tell myself, but it seems like a, like a bygone era to like watch Jeopardy together, but I like it. I remember what, back in the day, I don't know how many, I'm sure there's a, some people my age and older, but we used to watch the Lawrence Welk show. We used to have a little tiny black and white, little tiny TV in the kitchen. And, and we, we used to watch the Lawrence Welk show with our, with our dinner. I remember that vividly. <laughs> Quick North Dakota shout out. He's from Strasburg, North Dakota. And if you ever want to come visit, Susan, I'll take you down to Strasburg. They got a little museum of his homestead. Solid, solid information already. You can use that on Jeopardy someday. Uh, Susan, let's dig into it. Um, can you tell me a little bit about your relationship with alcohol? And maybe let's just start with how it proceeded and then we'll we'll work through it. Yeah, well, it's it's been a real shitty relationship, but one that's actually been quite fruitful. So I'll get to that later. So grew up in a house of the youngest of four and um, had parents that unfortunately kind of grew up in a house of addiction. So, you know, kind of that that storybook of like everything looks great on the outside. But, you know, behind closed doors, it was, you know, constantly World War Three. And and and, you know, I would say how empathetic I am. But I think, you know, now I'm finding out it's probably more of a trauma response, because when you walked in the house, you never knew who exactly you were going to be getting, you know. So I had my mom that, you know, good mom, but she also tended to pop some pills. So she kind of checked out on a regular basis to deal with um, my dad, who was a very abusive alcoholic. So growing up, it was kind of quite shaky. And I think what that how that manifested in me um, was I wasn't ever given the tools on, you know, whenever there's a stress or there's conflict or there is like a really hard challenge, an issue, you know, how I saw that my parents dealt with it was they just, you know, numbed out and, and, you know, became inebriated and they really didn't deal with anything. So kind of monkey see monkey do that's, that's how I then in turn, I think ended up handling, you know, my own challenges and issues. You mentioned empathy being a, like recognizing that that's a trauma response and that I think that, that like that resonates with me for sure. We, we learn these things at, at a young age just to, all right, I need to be performative and, and try to please this person. And like that can be perceived as, as empathy, like, Hey, I'm a, I'm a caretaker, but at that young age, it's just, it's, it's what we have to do to survive. And, and that can really morph over time into, into things that are, that are not healthy. Right. 
No, and I, I agree because I think, you know, I have a wide variance of age between like my oldest brother was almost 16 when I was born. And then I have a sister who's 11 years older and then another brother who's six years older. And we all kind of got different parents, right? We kind of got a different taste of their parenting, if you will, because I think as their disease progressed, you know, the violence progressed in the kind of that emotional upheaval, right? And and where, you know, I definitely became kind of the caretaker for my mother because um, my parents ended up getting a divorce. But, you know, so it was, it was very um, chaotic and um, roles had to be kind of reversed, you know, very early where I was kind of the, the mother to my own mom. But, you know, graduated, ended up working full time as soon as I graduated high school and I got out of the house as soon as I could. And then just attended college, you know, at night kind of did, went a different route. I didn't go the traditional, you know, four, four year. I was very, always very independent, you know, but really the, the drinking, you know, and I had already, I always kind of partied hard in my twenties and, you know, with kind of fiddling with some, with some drugs here and there. Um, but mostly it was about the booze. And then I actually probably in my early thirties, I ended up getting really into yoga and I became a yoga teacher and I actually started following a couple spiritual teachers. So kind of the, the booze kind of fell away for me. It was just kind of turning away from that and turning to something else. So, and it was just, it felt very natural to me. So I don't think I really had a problem at that point, but what really I think started to kind of, um, trigger was my mom died back in 2002 and that was extremely hard but I had my sister there um so she and I lived you know in the same towns and my sister and I've always been extremely close and my sister in a lot of ways raised me when my mom and my dad couldn't and then um back in 2009 my sister got diagnosed with lung cancer and she died seven months after her diagnosis. And she had three small children at the time. And her husband, who was um, her high school sweetheart, he was unfortunately uh, had his own demons. And then, you know, they were actually high school sweethearts. So then when she passed away, a lot of his demons escalated and he actually passed away seven months after she did. Oh. And so having to watch you know, my my two nephews and my niece have to bury one parent and then seven months later having to bury another parent. It just it was too much. It was it was too much for me. So I did what I what I saw, you know, kind of growing up. And and because um, I remember when my parents got divorced, my mother went off on the deep end um, because in a lot of ways that that divorce was a was probably the m most meaningful death to her that she'd ever had. And, you know, she completely retreated into an addiction. And I think I did the same exact thing that I just, I didn't want to live without my sister. I didn't know how to live without my sister. And I just decided to kind of crawl into a bottle because it works until it doesn't. Right. And then it just kind of took off from there. Well, I'm, gosh, Susan, I'm so sorry. That is, that is a rough stretch. That is, I mean, that's a lot for, for anybody to handle. I think even if even if we've had uh, healthy coping mechanisms modeled to us, that's that's a tremendous amount of, of grief to have to go through. And and when we haven't been shown that, when we don't when we don't know how to deal with it, you know, like you said, we we do what we've been shown, and it's that's that's all we know. At that at that point, after you had after you had lost, you know, the the the, the final passing of your your brother in law, what did that look like when you when you 
picked back up. You said you had, you know, through like the yoga teacher training and the spiritual Mm -hmm. practices that things had kind of dialed back. And then, you you know, this series of tragedy happened. Uh, Was it like an immediate, like right into some abusive tendencies or or was it a slow growth? No. So for me, it was a um, total, you know, to to all the spiritual teachings and, and the trainings, it was for me kind of like a big fuck you because I was so I, I could not understand how how you know that my sister could pass and then her husband pass and just everything that ensued and the amount of pain and and devastation that 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 left you know and again I think what I would say to I think to those folks that are listening is that whatever your situation may be is that we can't see the forest through the trees. And if there's anything that is the most healing, it's time. And because at that that time, immediately, I could not physically, emotionally, whatever you want to say, I could not imagine my life without my sister. I could not imagine, like, because I, I went to her for everything and I depended on her so much. And I didn't know how I was going to live. And I didn't want to live, to be honest. But as time went on, you know, things started to change at least how I felt. But at the same time, I was then becoming quickly, I quickly understood that I was becoming chained to alcohol. And I had this pattern, this habitual pattern of, you know, it was very high functioning. I would, you know, I always went to work, you know, would try to work out, come home. And then I would, you know, very quickly pour myself a drink because I wanted to get buzzed before dinner. And then, you know, I would even, start creating parameters for myself and saying, okay, well, I have a cutoff time and I'm going to stop drinking. Even if I have something in my glass, you know, I'm going to pour it out at 7.45. And then I would pour it out at 7.45 or 8. And it's like, well, look, I don't have a drink. You know, I don't have a problem with alcohol because I can pour it out. And it wasn't until I gave myself some grace and some time away from it that I was looking at it incorrectly. It wasn't about look at me being able to pour it out. The question was, why was I feeling the need to pour it in the first place? To start, yeah. So, you know, I think, you know, again, it it gets into that pattern and that habit. And that's how I was trying to just numb myself because I felt very overwhelmed by my feelings. And that was just the way that I started to really just deal with stress. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm sure that's probably the story for most people. You know, it's just, you know, having that internal you know, relaxation for a little while and quiet the voices in the head. Yeah. It's such a dangerous, dangerous thing. Cause it, you know, it, it's different for all of us, but it can come so, so subtly. You know, I remember, I remember it was my, my wife and I were disengaged at the time and we were having some relationship problems. I was getting ready to go overseas for a year. And, and that was, you know, I was a partier before then, but that was like the first time I started to use alcohol to cope because it was, it, I was so hurt because of the issues that we were having. And it's like, oh, hey, this works for that. Like quote unquote works. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, other, other shit comes up and it's like, oh, I wonder, you know, I'm kind of bummed out about this or stressed out about that. And it's like, hey, look at that. I don't like, it just goes away. And again, it, it doesn't, nothing just goes away, but uh, we adapt it to so many other things. Right. I mean, it becomes, you know, then, then you have the whole portion. I, you know, I love, you know, um, this naked mind with Anna Grace. I think she does a really good job in that book explaining kind of the, the, the brain psycho the, the chemical 
you know, components of an addiction and, you know, with the dopamine being released in the brain. And I can remember, like, I would be just excited at the prospect of coming home and making the drink. And like, Mm -hmm. you know, I would, I would get excited about that. And, you know, uh, so it's it's those dopamine hits. So it's almost kind of like, you know, what's it called? Pavlov's dog, you yeah. know, like where the dog starts salivating. I mean, it's the same thing. I look at a tequila bottle and I'm like, oh, you know, yeah. so I think it's kind of the same principle. Yeah. I When I was in treatment, they use the analogy of, of like, like a caveman, you know, like a caveman, you know, kills something tasty or, or, you know, hunter gathers, they find some fruit, like they get that hit. It motivates them to keep doing that because that's what they need to survive. And I'm not a neuroscientist <laughs> whatsoever, <laughs> but like, you know, I had this tremendous stress and I've, this thing alleviates that. So my brain is like, Hey, like when you're getting strung out, dude, go back to that because that, that, that's going to help you out. Right. And just, you know, ignore the rest of the shit show that's happening in the meantime, but just calm down. But there's, uh, but there's other ways. And that's what I think, you know, what, what, you know, this podcast and other podcasts do a really great job is that there are other ways in which that we can deal with really hard things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, going back to, you know, now having the perspective of, you know, understanding, you know, that we were talking about, um, you know, the law of impermanence and that, you know, nothing is going to be terrible forever. You know, I, I couldn't, as I said, like, I couldn't imagine wanting to go through my life without my sister and by no means not to say that I don't still miss her, but I do. But now I feel that, you know, I'm done kind of with the self-flagellation because I almost kind of felt like part of my addiction and part of my suffering in my addiction was a way in which that I can have a tribute to her. And it's almost kind of like a, like a, uh, what's that little, uh, that does the cocoon that goes and turns into a butterfly. Uh, like a a caterpillar caterpillar. (laughs) So that's kind of what I felt like was that, you know, kind of being a caterpillar and the addiction was the cocoon, right? And it, I finally had to grow enough and get to a place to where it was so uncomfortable. And it was, it, it really did get to a point where it was so horrible that I had to choose another path. Yeah. And, it, and it made it that bad. And I decided to like, I'm done. Yeah. I'm done with this. Well, let's dip, let's dip back into your story. Um, yeah. From, uh, from those losses uh, that started in 09, how long, you said you picked back up and you, or uh, well, when you started, you said you started hard. How, how long did that last before you started to ask yourself questions and, and look at, look at that behavior and, and maybe start to think something needed to change? Mm, I would say probably 2016, 2017. And actually I tried to, go on uh, naltrexone, which I don't know if, if folks know what that is, but it's basically a, a drug. And I don't really know kind of what the, what the um, like chemical um, components are, but basically it, it kind of um, deafens the dopamine or, de- or impedes the dopamine receptor. So like you, you have one of these pills and then you go and you drink and 
you don't really get any buzz from it. You don't really get any type of a dopamine. So it does help to curb, I guess, the the amount that you drink or the frequency in which you drink. The problem is you got to take it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I didn't really want to take it because I'm like, it made me kind of feel like a zombie. And I didn't, I just didn't really respond that well to it. And I really wasn't ready to quit. So it really wouldn't matter what I did. But, you know, I've tried to do, I had some starts and stops, um, but, you know, um, I didn't really have that kind of calamity moment until, what, June 13th of, of 2019. Okay. So besides naltrexone, was there, like, did you have any, like, were you digging into any, any resources? Were you trying any of these? I mean, there's a, a million things out there, dry Januarys, dry July, dry yep. any, any month. Were you digging into any, any research, podcast, yes. books? Yes. Yeah, so sorry about that. So yeah. So definitely looked into actually one of the one of the first books that I I really did like. It was called um, Alan Carr. It was the easy way to control alcohol, which is kind of a bait and switch in the title. Yeah. But um, <laughs> yeah. I I really liked his approach because he's very no nonsense, and I definitely listened to podcasts. But so alcohol is. In, Pardon my French. It's a tricky motherfucker because what happens is, is I, I was like, I quit for a few months. And then I thought, you know, the famous last words, like I got this and I'm thinking, can I dip my toe back into the water? Right. Because I really wasn't ready to give it. I'm like thinking, well, you know, like you can kind of, you know, out trick, you know, the demon and you can't just a little, you know, and punchline gang. No, you're not going to outbeat it. You're not going to outthink it. You're not going to out shimmy shake it. You know, it, it's going to win. It's a, it's a losing proposition every single time and continuously drinking when you know you have a problem has diminishing returns. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I, I tried to moderate. And then of course, you know, thinking, well, well, I just had a couple glasses of wine. Look how good I'm doing. You know, trying to fool yourself into thinking that things are going to be different this time. And again, they're not, I mean, it may take a couple months or, three or four months, but inevitably you get back to where you were and then you're kicking yourself for why did I backslide? So, mm-hmm. you know, but I had a kind of an interesting epiphany because of course, you know, um, this was again back in, in June of 2019. And uh, I was, was the one I, I'm sure a lot of people would they, you know, I would drink, try to cut off at a certain time at the night, but inevitably I'd wake up at three, three thirty in the morning and my heart would be pounding, you know, it's your, it's your body trying to metabolize the alcohol. And, you know, I would have this, uh, this unyielding anxiety. Like I had anxiety on the front end of like the prospect of not drinking and then I would drink and then I would have anxiety on the back end. Like it was just, I was just caught in this horrible merry-go-round. And I, a, a thought struck me and the thought was, it's always going to be like this. It's never not going to be like this. And that thought, for some reason, I can't even describe the amount of terror that I felt at that at that thought is that it's always going to be like this. And I wanted so desperately for it to not be like this. And and that is when after having that thought and feeling that overwhelming sense of terror come over me, I have not had another drink since. Wow. Yeah, there's a. There's a lot there, Susan. There's, you know, when you were talking about moderation, you know, there's that we, I've brought it up several times during several interviews, but like, I think so many of us had these moments where, uh, yep, I think I'm going to, 
I think I can handle this. And and like on paper, the amount of drinks or the number of drinks or frequency, whatever, like on paper, it looks good. But we, you know, the column that we failed to put on that spreadsheet is what's your mind doing during all of that? Like the obsession of, okay, yep, I'm only going to have two. I'm only going to have two. I'm on my second one and I'm just going to have four sips for this first 25 minutes. And then I'm going to, maybe I'll take one big, and like, like maybe not literally that, but it's not real far off. And it just, it takes so much control. And then, you know, you talked about that, that moment you had, I remember for a long time, I had, I had a similar moment for, but for a long time, I just, I had this hope, like there's going to be a day, like some day is going to come. There's this imaginary line that I'm going to cross where I'm not going to overdo it and I'm not going to hurt the people around me. And I'm not, I'm not going to need this the way that I need it. Like it's, I just got to get through whatever. X, Y, and Z that's in front of me right now. I got to get through that. And then like, there's going to be this day, but then, yeah, when that, when the veil kind of gets lifted as for whatever reason, when you see that hopelessness, like that is a, that is a tough spot to be in. Yeah. I mean, it, it was, as I said, I don't think I've ever felt fear like that. And I, and I don't know if it was because maybe I might get woo wooey for a minute, but like energetically, I got a glimpse of, of what the future was going to be. If I chose, if I continued down that path and that's maybe what scared me so bad, but, you know, quickly back to the, the moderation, you know, the, the brain likes it when you actually just make a definitive decision and you're like, Nope, I'm not doing that today. You know, nope, we're not, we're not doing that. It, it actually likes it when you leave kind of the door open and you're trying to navigate through well, what does normal drinking look like, mm-hmm. you know, kind of go back to the answer key. If you're asking yourself, what does the normal drinking look like, then the perception has already been skewed and you're trying to find some type of kind of homeostasis or, or some type of middle ground. But, you know, I think just stepping away from it would be, you know, the best thing versus trying to, you know, continue to try to, you know, play with something that, you know, it's kind of like Vegas, you know, the house is always going to win. Yeah. You know, you're always, it's always going to be a losing prospect. And I, and I'm hoping I'm not like dashing anybody's hopes, but what, with that being said, on the other side of it, you know, when you do make that decision that alcohol is no longer serving me and it's no longer for my highest good and for my highest benefit, then you can actually, you know, start to turn and look and place your focus and your energy somewhere else. Yeah. I love that. I love like that gambling analogy. And it's uh, when you're talking, like I was just thinking, yeah, it was like, we're trying to bargain, but we have nothing. We have nothing. Like we just want so badly to be able to like, let's make a deal. But like, you have nothing, you're holding no cards. You have, you have nothing to offer. It's control speaking for myself control had been lost i I had nothing yeah the gambling analogy is definitely a good one i think you know yeah Yeah, it it rings true for sure so let's go to let's go to that day that 6 14 june 14th yeah when you when you said you were done what yep what did that look like well so if i had to go back i would do it a bit differently how I felt was I, I felt 
so ashamed and I felt I was so embarrassed. I, to be honest, I did not tell, and I didn't even tell my husband that I had made up my mind and that this was like going to be in earnest. I am done. I was afraid to tell anybody. And the reason being was I was afraid that if I failed, then I would get the judgment of, Oh, look there. Oh, wait, what are you doing? What you shouldn't be drinking. What are you doing? You know? So I felt like if I kept it in and if I kept it to myself and just kind of suffered in silence, that if I were to cave in, because I really didn't know if I could do it, that, you know, I don't want to say nobody would be the wiser, but I wouldn't have that, that stigma because I already felt so much shame. But I, I feel like if I would have done it over again, I, I, would, I wish I would have told somebody and, and sought help instead of kind of being chained in, in my own silence because I was, I was just so um, embarrassed and so ashamed. Yeah, that's a, that's a real scary prospect is to let someone in on something like that because it's, you know, there is a chance and I, whether, you know, whether you use the word fail or slip or relapse, like it doesn't, the, the word doesn't matter. Use, if anybody's out there wondering what word to use, like use a word that serves you. But if, you know, if we, if we have a misstep, you know, for, for a lot of us, grace hadn't, hasn't really been modeled in the best way. So if, you know, if I, if I fuck up, am I going to be met with love and compassion or am I going to be admonished and, and told, you know, oh, well, that's just goes to show, you know, that's you again. Of course you did this. And that's actually a really interesting point that I hadn't really thought about. Cause I think, you know, growing up, we weren't really, you know, when you, when you, when you didn't achieve a certain level of success, it, it, I was never met with, oh, well, you know, do you need help? You know, what can, what can I, you know, as a, you know, a parent, like, what can I help you with? It was definitely them just being disappointed and, you know, kind of fed up with you. So um, that's kind of interesting that you bring that up. So that's probably maybe where some of that comes from is that probably wasn't used to having um, grace afforded. And I definitely didn't allow myself a lot of grace. And I wish I would have done that as well as cut myself some slack Yeah. in the beginning. You know, I think depending on the person, you know, tough, tough love serves, serves its purpose from, from time to time. I don't, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Like I'm almost hesitant, hesitant to even say that, but sometimes speaking for me, like I, I can respond to it if it's, if it's in the right environment. And if, if I know where it's coming from, but there's a lot of times where, especially as a kid, we're not, you know, I don't, I don't blame my parents. I think they did the best they could with what they had, but yeah, they didn't, they didn't really know how to do that. And when I would screw up, uh, you know, I was admonished. So in recovery and sobriety, if I, like, why would I, why would I let somebody know that I'm going to try this like huge thing when like, what if I fuck up? What if I screw up? I'm just going to be told that I'm a loser or a failure. And, and this is like the big thing at play. You know, this is the thing that has an impact on everything in my life. And to let someone into that is, is tough. And that's where, you know, that's where community, at least for me, community comes into play. Absolutely. No, I, I completely agree. And I, I found 
you know, again, so when I was in earnest, you know, in, in 2019 and, and really kind of going on this path saying, okay, I really am done. Um, you know, I listened, I love the um, happy hour and there was another um, podcast called Home, which they're unfortunately no longer on, but, and of course, you know, Recovery Elevator and, and listening to to Paul was was hugely it, it was very instrumental in feeling connected and you know then attended I think it was back in 20 I think maybe yeah it was in 2019 actually it was only it, not only but when I was two months sober I remember going to the recovery elevator Bozeman retreat what was so, Bozeman yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was fabulous. And that, you know, being able, cause, and to be honest, so, you know, again, I don't know if, if your listeners, I'm sure some of you can identify. I don't think I have one sober friend, like my friends previously, right. I don't think I have anybody. Um, my husband ended up, he really, he didn't have an issue, but he ended up when I finally confided in him, he bless his heart, uh, decided to also quit drinking just to support me. But then he found a lot of benefit in it as well, which has been, again, a huge part of why I've probably been successful is, you know, just having a partner there to to help support and to be kind of on the same page. So like when we travel, there's not, I don't have to try to worry and, and you know, navigate and weave my way through like a partner who is drinking versus myself that have made the decision to not drink. So that was a huge component for my success. But, you know, community is really, really important, especially if you don't have a lot of folks kind of in your own like friend group that you've had for a while that, you know, they all still drink, but you don't. So that's been kind of an interesting dynamic and seeing that change, too. It can be tough. I hate I don't know. I do that a lot. Like we say that stuff is tough and I hate to. I don't know. Maybe maybe it's only tough if we say it's tough. However, Mm. it can be a unique thing to traverse. We'll say that. Uh, yes. These relationships with with people who are whether whatever their relationship is with alcohol, they they have they're not making the same choices we are. And uh, that and that's absolutely fine. You know, I have and it's interesting the the um it, it's really interesting to see kind of the array of reactions because I was also very guarded. You know, and what I would say is, is it can be um, somewhat tricky. I mean, I. For, for those that are listening that are kind of like starting to like dip their toe in the water of, you know, trying to, you know, kind of have a sober, you know, kind of walking a sober path. You know, in the beginning, I actually told friends like, oh, I'm just taking it. And this is something they had heard before when years passed, when I was trying to like moderate and stuff. I, I do the old, well, I'm on a cleanse. You know, like the whole, like, I'm on a 30-day cleanse, guys. Sorry, I can't drink. And and it works. However, what I didn't, like an unintended consequence of that is then they would come back to me. Oh, you still, are you still on a cleanse? Can you drink now? So, like, it, it never was kind of completely put to bed. Like, I'm just no longer a non-drinker. And part of me was like, I don't know if I'm going to stick with this. Like, I couldn't imagine 30 days in that I would, like, be where I am now. Yeah. Right. So, so what I would say is, is that, you know, it's okay if you say, yeah, I'm on a cleanse right now. You know, I'm just kind of, I'm just, you know, doing a, you know, dry January or dry July or whatever. But what I would say is, is that I would anticipate that maybe some folks, especially those that are not comfortable with their own drinking habits, and then they're kind of, I think us choosing not to drink puts a spotlight on their problems sometimes. So, 
that can make other people uncomfortable, but not because of you. It's more about them. So you may just want to, you know, possibly anticipate some of that. Yeah. You know, Brene Brown talks about like vulnerability and who to be vulnerable with. And she uses the the analogy of like every time you trust someone with something and they don't use it against you, they get a, a cotton ball in their jar. And <laughs> I think, you know, look to those people who would have a jar full of cotton balls, not those people that use that might use things against you or. And uh, that's a good way to weed people out. I mean, yeah, if you, if you think about it, I mean, if you're if you're deciding to, you know, I mean, Alcohol, in in my opinion, the the essence of it is to create an unquenchable thirst for more of itself. You're not going to win against that proposition. And so I'm not even going to mess with it. And, you know, when you turn away from that amount of negativity, right, which to me, which is what alcohol represents, you also get very clear on other negative aspects and, and, and other things that no longer serve you. And those can also include people. You know, I think you get very clear on, you know, also becoming a mirror for what other people, you know, if you're if you're making, you know, a, a change in your own life and saying, I'm kind of done with this and, and this is really no longer serving me, you know, you're also it's it's probably one of the most radical acts of self-love that you can ever perform for you. And a lot of people are not might not be comfortable with that, but that's on them. It's not on you. I love that so much, Susan, a radical act of self-love and it's recognizing the things in our lives that are serving us. And that, and that includes our relationships as well. And it's a, you know, it can be a scary prospect to, to step away from, from friendships or to, to change our relationship with, with family members. But, you know, as far as I know, we get, we get one crack at this and like, I want to live my life surrounded by people and engaged with people who are, who are propelling me and, and who I can support and propel moving forward also. And, you know, it's, a, it's it is, it's a, it's a scary prospect. But it's but, also so rewarding. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm now I'm going to probably sound cliche, but you know, I, I've never, I've never been, I think more comfortable within myself. And I've also had, you know, again, not to go back to being an old to, to like childhood stuff, but I really wasn't given a whole lot of, of, you know, being really confident in myself and my abilities. Right. And this process has made me, you know, I can do hard things and, you know, I went through my worst case scenario and as hard as it was, and as maybe lost for a bit of a time, I wouldn't be who I am without those experiences. And I truly can say, I do absolutely love myself in this moment with my flaws, with everything. And I wouldn't have that love if I was still drinking. Mm-hmm. And I promise, I, I know this is hard to hear, but I promise you it does get better. If you can just stick with it and make the choice and say, I choose myself, I choose me, things will turn around and they will go in a positive direction. Yeah. All these these things that <clears throat> that have been put in front of us in life, these things that we go through, they don't, you know, like I'm not here to say that there's some grand design and, and you've gone through your hardships and I've gone through my hardships in order for these things to happen. Like, I don't know that that's what's gone down, but I do know that that we have these tough experiences and they, they don't have to be for nothing. You know, we can take a look at that and it 
It is like, it does sound super cliche, but you know what? Like I believe it and it's the truth. Like it doesn't have to be for nothing. I can, I can use those things to, to take a look at myself and, and you know, how can, how can I better show up for those around me? How can I take my test and turn it into a testimony? You know, how can I take the hurt that I've been through and use that to, to walk through someone else who's going through it right now? You know, what? Absolutely. Or the, the option exists too. You know, I can grab a case of beer and sit here and wallow in my own shit and, and, and do nothing with that. And, and that's not a, that's well, not a slight a, on anybody who, who's in that right now. Like you get right. like, you, you're, you got to go through it. You're going through what you're going through it. You do. But you know, it's interesting though. I will say that, you know, I don't know if it's just the time in which that we live in, if it's the Western society, I don't know, but. We've never been at such a place where we're such creatures of comfort. It's like, God fucking forbid, if we are uncomfortable at any like particular moment, like, you know, and that's the thing is that, you know, for me, again, those those feelings of grief, they were unbearable and they were so uncomfortable that I just wanted to numb out. And that's the thing, like with this, like, you know, mommy wine culture and, you know, you know, uh, mommy's little helper and all that, like, you know, numbing out because of the stress and because of the challenges. And, you know, it is hard and it it absolutely can be challenging, but I also think it's okay to sit in that because what I found is, is you do move through it. You know, really the only way out of anything is through it. Mm -hmm. And really with your, at least what I found with boozing was I was just prolonging the pain. You know, I'm in a much better space now in terms of dealing with with loss and grief. And I've made more progress in the last three years than I did for the previous 10 years. So I think that it's we need to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah, that discomfort, it's not it's not going to take us out. And that's that's where the growth happens. Don't you know, challenge yourself. Don't scratch that itch right away. It's the. It's the space between there's a, we have a, a guy, Patrick, who helps teach classes for Cafe RE and, and Recovery Elevator. And he talks about like where that change happens within us is, is, is in that space between what we think and what we do. And, and that gap, that's, that's where we're either developing and growing as people or we're regressing and, and potentially like fortifying those addictions and, and building right. those up. And that's the thing is that there is that gap. So for, you know, an example is if you're, you know, again, like myself, you know, being able to go to work and do all that, and then you come home and then you make yourself a drink and it's kind of like a reward and um, something like a treat, you know, if there's something that you can do and it's a pattern and a habit, there is a gap where you can have a decision saying, I'm going to do something different when I get home. And you can plan to, you know, meet a friend for a walk or take some type of a class or, you know, um, I, don't, I don't know, go to a movie, something different than your normal routine and start to build on that. You can, you know, in that gap, make a different choice. Yeah. Find some support too to, you know, let people know that you're, that, hey, this is, this is where my head is at. I need someone to help push me and hold me accountable. And yeah, it's possible. I mean, if you and I, the shit that we've been through, if you and I are sitting here sober today, like listeners, like you can do it too. Like I, I fully believe it. Before we get into the the rapid fire round, do you just want to share a little bit with, with like, what are you up to today? You're, you're 
you're closing in on three years. Yeah. Um, you've been to a couple of retreats. What, what, do, what's your recovery look like today? Like, what are you, what are you working on? What are you doing? How, how are things in your life? Well, so again, it makes things really easy. Cause you know, I'm not, I don't deal with having, you know, um, like a partner who drinks. So that's, you know, so that makes things a, a lot easier and, you know, actually dealing with some, some stressful things right now. I have, you know, my, my father who's still alive is in, has dementia and I'm actually having to take guardianship over him because he kept drinking and driving and wouldn't stop. So that's a whole other issue that I've been dealing with. That's been causing a lot of stress, but what I do, what I found though, like even in those stressful situations, I still have moments where I can do things for myself. So one of the things that I do that I focus on is I have um, Insight Timer, which is a free app. And um, in the morning when I wake up, and then um, especially at night before I go to bed, I listen to um, a guided meditation. Um, And then there's also another app that I'm not trying to do plugs or anything, but I think it was like 20 bucks for a year or something. It's called Slow Dive. And that I think has been very helpful uh, for me. Um, Again, listening to kind of just like winding down the day. I will say another guilty pleasure I do have, Chris, is I do love (laughs) to watch Judge Judy episodes (laughs) in bed. I love, oh, she puts the smack down. I love it. It's like, ah, justice. So <laughs> it's like, ah, all's right in the world. You know, Judge Judy put some people in their place. But, you know, definitely do the meditation. Um, and then I also love, um, I don't know if it's everywhere, but they do do Zoom meetings. Um, it's called Women for Sobriety. And it's a non-AA based, um, but it's for women only recovery program. And so my my gals who I meet with, we meet every Sunday afternoon. And that's a really great way to kind of just be accountable and to check in. Um, I haven't, I will be honest, I haven't done um, Cafe RE for probably, I don't know, quite a few weeks just with everything with my dad. I guess that's probably no excuse, but I need to get kind of re-engaged. And again, this was part of me getting re-engaged and getting out of my comfort zone. But, and then also just saying every single day, I don't know what's going to happen in the future. I don't know what's going to happen next week. I don't know what's going to happen in a a month from now, but I know today I'm not going to have a drink. Whatever happens today, whatever shit storm happens, I'm not going to drink. And I'm just, I make that decision literally every single day. I love it. No matter what club. Yes. Not drinking. It's not an option as a losing proposition. Very good. And, and you know, it's nice to have, you know, you, you gave a few examples of, of what your recovery looks like today. And, and that's the, that's the cool thing is that there is no, like, I truly believe there is no one path. And, you know, I could go on this spiel about the things that I'm doing this week. And if you ask me in six months, Susan, I might give you, you know, five, four or five different things that I'm doing and, right. and, and we can find what, what works for us. It can be a traditional route, non-traditional route. It's it's having that willingness to to dig in and and try some stuff. Ask people, you yeah. know, look, looking towards other people and say, hey, like, what are you doing? And yeah. tr- trying some of those things out. If they don't serve you, try something else. And, and give yourself grace with that. Like as you're as you're as you're trying stuff to find that that recipe for right. this this moment in time. And it and it might change. And that's all right. Yeah. And I think the other key to, to focus on is, you know, for those that are kind of, you know, flirting with, you know, kind of the sober path or, you know, really in earnest is, is get really clear about your why. 
get really clear as to why is the reason why you have decided to to go down the sober and explore the sober life. Why? Get really clear. So then when you have that space of like, mm, here's a pattern and habit coming up, go back to your why and say, this is the reason why I'm choosing something different. And then the the last thing that I would say that I think is really important is I actually still every single day I practice being grateful. So I think about, you know, again, dealing with my dad, who is probably one of my biggest triggers as I'm sure most, you know, if you're dealing with a difficult family member, he's probably a a very large trigger for me. And I would not, the way in which that I have dealt with him and, 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 um, you know, kind of worked my way through this whole guardianship process and, and his progressing dementia and all that, having the patience and having kind of the foresight, I wouldn't have had any of that had I been drinking. I would have been a completely different daughter. I don't even know if I would have stepped up to the plate for the guardianship, to be honest, because I just think that would have, I wouldn't have been able to handle it. So I think, you know, and also just being a much better friend, I'm a much better partner and a much better communicator. So those are the the things also that I focus on is, is the way in which that I show up not only for myself, but for other people is something that that I very humble and super grateful for that has been a really great blessing through this process. I love it. We're lucky to have you. Oh, but- hallelujah. <laughs> I <did> love it. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> I love it, Susan. This hour or this time has absolutely screamed by, but we are in the rapid fire round. I love it. I feel like could we can we get some maybe some Jeopardy music? I don't Golly, know. I want ah. some. Maybe this maybe this will be the episode that Paul's a music guy. He'll get. Oh Paul, yeah, maybe. maybe Mr. Churchill, I'm gonna need some suspenseful music <laughs> to play right now. All right, we'll see if he did it. Okay. All right, in 30 to 60 seconds, answer the following questions. Are you ready? Got it. Let's do it. What was your biggest fear as you were thinking about quitting drinking? Disappointing myself. That was my biggest fear was disappointing others, but really disappointing myself. What is a positive that you didn't expect in your life without alcohol? Uh, So very early on, I didn't realize that. I mean, during even the first week, two weeks, I was laughing hysterically at stuff like and I didn't realize, honest to God, that, you know, we're so busy numbing out the bad that I also didn't realize that I was numbing out the good and that I, you know, I've actually found things like just hilarious. And it was like to actually get like a really big belly laugh. I don't know when the last time was that I did that. So that was a really awesome surprise. And then the second one is just the way in which that I'm able to show up for myself and for others. I was never really there when I was drinking. I I really wasn't. I love both of those. I think they're, I love them both. That's really good. What is your go-to alcohol-free drink? Ooh, so I really like to do some club soda, and then I like to have a little bit of like ginger beer with um, a couple limes and then muddle some mint, some fresh mint. Mm. Do you go with a spicy ginger beer or a more mellow? Oh, spicy. Spicier the better. Okay. All right. Everybody has their taste. Yeah. That does sound love spicy. That sounds good. I would have to I'd have to do like a, a muted one. 
Oh, somebody <laughs> has a, it's an upset tummy. Something like that. Hey, listen, I don't need to be judged on this. Number four. <laughs> that does sound good, though. Uh, number four, what's your plan? This is a super specific question. Uh, what's your plan on sobriety moving forward? Oh, that's a good one. Uh, so my plan um, is to um, actually attend more um, RE meetings. I do still definitely will get on Facebook and just kind of scroll through and, and check out and try to comment on folks posts. Um, that's a really great community. I'm in the OG group, by the way. What, what? Um, and then going to be attending Bozeman. So in August, this will be my third year. So it'll be great. I cannot wait. And that's the one thing gang um, is that if you have not been to one of those retreats, it's not certainly a paid plug or anything, but it is really fabulous. If you need some sober fuel and to actually feel connected to other people, definitely. And it's also an investment in yourself. So I would highly, highly recommend it. And lastly, I think, you know, just trying to connect, I think, with more people here locally that don't drink. Because, again, I feel like I'm kind of woman on an island here. And especially COVID really hasn't helped with that either. But I need to start to find actual peeps that I can hang out with in in an old sea bus. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That is – those are good plans. And just – yeah, not to – like, not to plug Bozeman, but this is – this will be my third year also. Susan and I both went in 2019 and I don't, I'm sure we talked, but like we didn't connect a lot. And then when we went last year, it just, I don't know, it's just one of those things where we happened to be next to each other in, uh, in the chow hall. I don't know. What do you call it? Dining facility. (laughs) Anyway, Uh but we just like, we got a chance to spend some like really good time getting to know one another. And I just, like I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that that worked out for me to get the the message that you were coming on here. It was just like I was tickled, absolutely yeah. tickled, and I, I'm excited to see you again this fall. Me too. It's gonna be dope. Thanks, buddy. What parting piece of guidance can you give our listeners who are in recovery or thinking about getting sober? So the one piece of advice is, if you doubt it, please come on to. I don't know what what time we're at, but you are worth it. You are worth the fight. You are worth the commitment. You are worth it. You um, deserve to be happy. You deserve to have some peace. And I promise you it is worth it. You know, and please just, you know, seek some help, um, seek some connections with other people, maybe, you know, either with, you know, um, a psychologist or whomever that therapist that you can talk to. Um, Cause there's many different resources now that are available. It's not just kind of AA or nothing. Now mm-hmm. there's a whole different, um, all different types of modalities to help you, you know, get onto a, a sober path. That's good. There's a lot of stuff out there. Reach out, reach out and, we, and, and we'll help you. That's what we're here for. I love it, Susan. And yeah. last but certainly not least, what is your favorite you might need to ditch the booze if line? So you might need to do ditch the booze if you are the benchmark to which all of your other friends gauge their own level of drinking. Is if it's okay or not okay. If you're that benchmark, 
you you need you're good. It's, it's kind of like I don't, for all the ladies or guys that watch Sex in the City with in the movie where Charlotte like shits her pants and the or craps herself <laughs> in the in the shower and they're like you're done for the year, like you're done. If, if you're that benchmark, you just need to take a seat. <laughs> Somebody's got to be the standard, but yes, it might, I was that standard. It might be time to take a look. Susan, I just want to thank you for your time. Um, it has been an absolute treat for me. So thank you so much for, for coming on and, and sharing. And I just know, um, I know, I know we did a lot of good stuff today and, and I I'm hope excited so. for I people so to too. listen. All Thanks right, everybody. Be well. And I love you. Love you too. Thanks, Chris. Recovery Elevator. Thanks for listening. And thank you again, Susan, for coming on. I'm going to keep saying it. Sharing our stories gives others permission to heal. You're going to help a lot of people today. Listeners, if you've ever thought about coming on the show, I want to hear from you. Drop me an email at chris, that's K-R-I-S, at recoveryelevator.com. Even if you're new to this whole thing, or don't feel like you've got it down perfectly, our audience is people just like you, and they want to hear from you. I want to hear from you. Again, if you're interested, please email me at chris, K-R-I-S, at recoveryelevator.com. A few weeks ago, my daughter entered a photo in an art competition. This was her third year doing it. The first year we made her enter just to try something new. She did well and had fun doing it. The second year, she had a goal of winning a particular award, but came up a little short. For each of those first two years, she only went out one time to take the photo that she was submitting. After that, we talked about what it takes to commit to something and what it takes to grow. I told her that if she was fine where her photography was at, that's okay. But if she wanted to learn and grow, she'd have to make a commitment. With that, she decided she wanted to try a little more. We started a weekly photo challenge together, and a year later, at this year's competition, she won the merit award that she'd been after. The night after she won the award, I told her how proud of her I was. While the photo she submitted was great, I see that award as so much more. Over the past 52 weeks, she's put in the work. The life of a high school freshman is not one that I would call easy. Through all the sport and church commitments, going on vacation or out of town, dealing with friendships, homework, and simple teenage life, she worked through all of that and didn't miss a single submission. I look at that award and see the weeks where she had fun and creative ideas and put a ton of work into producing a cool shot. I see the weeks where she was limping along and grabbed a quick snapshot just to get through it. There were weeks where she struggled and felt like she'd never get anything right and something beautiful came from it. I see the conversations we had after each challenge, talking about what went right, what went wrong, and how could we continue to grow through it. That award is a representation of the good days and the bad, of someone who just didn't quit. I see a lot of parallels to recovery in this. Sometimes our plan works out perfectly. The days are success and we're riding a wave of positivity. Other days kick us right in the face and we're barely able to get by. We can't really know what's around the corner or what the next challenge will be, but we can posture ourselves to be ready to meet it with love, patience, and grace. We can keep going. Let's take this challenge together, Ari. If it's the beautiful shot that gets framed on the wall, or the one that we struggled with but learned from, at least we're doing it, and it's not for nothing. You're the only one that can do this, but you don't have to do it alone. I love you guys. How do you know this is the experience you need? 
This is the ego. The ego.